broadcasting live from Roberta's in Bushwick, Brooklyn. You're listening to HeritageRadioNetwork.com. In some of my songs, I have casually mentioned the fact that I like to drink beer. This little song is more to the point. Roll out the barrel and lend me your ears. I like beer. It makes me a jolly good fellow. I like beer. It helps me unwind and sometimes it makes me feel mellow. Welcome to Beer Sessions Radio on Heritage Radio Network. I'm Jimmy Carboni from Jimmy's Number 43, joined tonight by Jen Swartman from The Blind Tiger. Hi, Jimmy. Happy Thanksgiving week. Happy Thanksgiving to you, buddy. Hey, um, do you know that we're sponsored by GreatBrewers.com? I knew that. Yeah. I've heard that before. Have you taken that Great Brewers test, the 100 or the 20? No. Well, you should. I'll go home tonight and I'll work on that. (laughs) Check out GreatBrewers.com, learn more about beer education, and test yourself on the Great Brewers test. And we're supported by the people at the Good Beer Seal, goodbeerseal.com. 34 New York City, good beer bars, serve and promote good beer. Well, this is uh, Thanksgiving week, and... um, you know, everyone's asking, what do you drink for Thanksgiving? Eric Asimov in the New York Times last week, he gave a real good overview of uh, Thanksgiving beverages. Instead of just talking about wine, he also mentioned beer and cocktails. What did he say? Uh, he mentioned, you know, some, some standard beers, saisons and things, but he was alluding to uh, sour beers as being something that he would like with a turkey. Hmm. And I thought that might be a good idea. We've got some special beers tonight and some special guests. Um, a friend from Philadelphia, Tom Peters, many of you know him from... Monk's Cafe. Yay! How you doing, Jimmy? And Ed Baristecki, our, our, our Brooklyn hero from uh, Monk's Cafe. Ed, how are you? Yay! Yay! So, <laughs> so he doesn't want to talk, but we're here to talk about uh, some vintage beers and he old He just beers. wants to drink. He wants to sit back and drink. Never. Yeah, that's nothing new. <laughs> well, with the theme of uh, the, the holiday and family and all that, um, our good friend Ray Dieter, who, who has passed away this year, uh, a few months ago, his wife, Catherine, uh, Gave me a, a couple old bottles of beer from Ray's collection. Uh, we've got Tom. Uh, what do we have here? We've got four beers from Ray Dieter's personal collection well, that well, we're going to share on uh, Thanksgiving, and it's also an introduction at, into vintage beer. So this is kind of like old beers and old guys. <laughs> <laughs> and, and I resemble that remark. Uh, so this is the Fuller Silver Celebration, the twenty fifth anniversary, nineteen fifty two, nineteen seventy seven. So it's wow. a extra strong bitter. Uh, I can't I can't discern from the label how strong it is, but it definitely has been aged. It, it matterized a little bit. It's got that port and Madeira overtone. I'm thinking that this is a beer that Ray might have got in uh, England. You think? I think he would have to. I don't think <laughs> any of us years have ago seen he it traveled here. with his wife and. Uh, yeah, I, I, I've never seen this beer in America ever. So thank you for sharing. Thank you, yes. Kathy. Thank you, Ray. Yes. Thank you, Ray. Yeah. Thank you, Ray. Yeah, I miss Ray. Uh, we, we all do. Let's make a toast of the, the Thanksgiving coming. We think about our family and friends. Uh, we do think about Ray Dieter. To Ray. Our good friend. Cheers. Yes. And we got a couple other beers, too. We've got um, a Trek Warehouse from 1977 and two Thomas Hardys, 1984 and 1986. Mm. Have you had a lot of experience with... Uh, with vintage beers, Tom? Uh, alcohol in general. <laughs> yeah, Do you I, cellar? I cellar a lot of beers. I, I just commenting earlier that the oldest beer I ever 
consumed was a 1950 uh, Leafman's Gutenbond that Philip DeVolder brought over to Monks one time, the brewer. So it's the first time I had a beer older than me, and it was in fantastic shape. What style is that beer? A Gutenbond is a, a Flemish brown sour ale. Okay. So it lends itself, you know, with the high acidity, uh, low pH, it lends itself to aging. So it sure. it stood up really so well. So this uh, the seventy seven fuller is just a little over the hill. It's a little oxidized, just a tad, but uh, surprisingly good shape. Yeah. And then what's next? The truck warehouse. Truck warehouse. I'm I drinking as fast this... as I can. <laughs> yeah, we're chugging it. Yeah. Should savor it. My gosh. Ooh, now that smells delicious. Yeah, I mean, you know, with wine, there's an appreciation for vintage. I, I think, I think in beer too. You know, I think that just identifying which beers are age worthy. Isn't there an interesting botanical in this beer? I can't remember what the profile is. Do we not remember? Well, with the, the Jacobite has botanicals. Oh, the Jacobite. Right. Okay. But this so, Truquera, this is a Belgian beer, right? No, no, English, Scot- Scottish, Scottish. I'm sorry, Scottish. yeah, Scottish. Yeah, they would. Kill remember, me Ray was an Anglophile. <laughs> Among many things. A Europhile, but an Anglophile specifically. Yeah, I do get the botanicals out of yeah. it, though, but yeah. I don't think there are any in there. Yeah. Yeah, it's. But I that's not oxidized at all, so that held up really well. Do we have any. Did it say on the label how old that beer was? Do we know? I think it said 1977. That's right? another 77? That was also, yes. Yeah. So I have wow. a feeling maybe that was something from, from Ray's travels as well. Maybe same year. Because he we know that before. He, the same suitcase. Before he opened DBA. <laughs> he was inspired by. Yeah, but 77. Uh, Ray tra- was. <laughs> how old? He was 12. <laughs> it was before the Skylab hat. But, you know, he knew he, he was ahead of his time. <laughs> I'm sure that he was traveling. He was we traveling to UK with his wife. Well, well before he had opened um, DBA. And that's how he got his appreciation for not only English beers, but also pub culture. Yeah. Which he uh, always appreciated. Which he brought right back. Well, who does not like here. pub culture? Well, certainly not me. <laughs> you know, Tom, it's, it's really, we've had you on the, the, the on a call-in before, but we never actually had you on the show. Yeah, this will probably be the last time you invite me back. But <laughs> So what, what inspires you? I mean, you, you've got one of the most famous, most popular beer bars in america monk's cafe what inspired you to, to do that i i took a trip to belgium in 1984 and uh you know i just by happenstance was served a duval and then a chimay blue and then an orval and of course i drank them like the they trifecta were, oh my god <laughs> but i drank them like they were light lagers so i was in an advanced state of refreshment quickly <laughs> so i ended up having to stay in brussels for a couple more days than i anticipated and i just fell in love with the uh culture you know the the food the the arts you know going into the museum and seeing Hieronymus bosch and the bruegels and rubens like i never understood the term flemish masters until i was in uh Brussels and and the beer was phenomenal and the people were great so I came back to Philly and started pushing Belgian beer in 1985 and uh, pushing yeah. is that is that when you opened the bar uh, that's I was managing another bar for okay. a friend and that which I became a partner in and uh, so we just went whole hog into it does that bar still exist it's gone oh. after I left oh, okay. oh. <laughs> you took what, it what with was you. it called uh, Copa Two. Which uh, Ray and Dennis came to uh, the first time they were there was I think maybe ninety four ninety five I did sixteen Belgians on draft one afternoon wow. and it was uh, I didn't know, have any idea there was a Belgian beer culture in America 
but we had people come down from Boston and up from D.C. and New York. I How did they shocked. know about it back then? I mean, you no know, idea. that was pre-internet. Yeah. So, you know, like now it's it was like telegraph. everyone all over. Yeah, a telegraph. Pony Express. Morse code. <laughs> yeah, I was shocked at how many people showed up from uh, traveled as far as they did. It was really cool. Was Bill Coleman uh-huh. there? <laughs> Bill Coleman was not there. <laughs> Who's Bill Coleman? <laughs> He's the salty dog. Exactly. <laughs> salty dog of all salty dogs. Beer geek of all beer geeks. And what does he do? Just a beer geek. He makes cartoons. <laughs> does he reside <laughs> in Philadelphia? Is that where we're going to He eat? makes cartoons oh, for what? He resides all over he the He resides wherever he resides. Yeah, he also makes the, the labels for De Regenboog yeah. Brewery. He actually oh, is okay. an artist, actually. So he does all the labels, and those labels are all over Belgium, but uh, Matthias Needhart from uh, Be United does not like those labels, so we have different labels in America. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> And when did you open Monk's Cafe? Uh, we opened there in 1997, like I think January or February of 97. A, that's a bit of a blur for me. <laughs> so that, yeah, so that was several years later. Was it directly from the first bar that you were running to your own place? Yeah, that, it, that it was, was literally the around the corner, so it was a block away. Got it. And now Muggs is legendary. Muggs. Jen, what's the verdict on the... I'm talking to Ed over there. I appreciate that Muggs, Muggs. Jen, what's the verdict on the Triquare House uh, 1977? What's my verdict? Yeah. Thumbs up. It still held up good, didn't it? Oh, yeah. It's really interesting. I I'm haven't quite... I'm not concentrating enough to know exactly what I'm smelling. Well, the first thing is when, when, you, when you find a vintage beer and, you, and it's still holding up, you know, you have to definitely... Say, there's something there. I have to interject because speaking of Bill Coleman before, and we actually did a the vintage tastings of all vintage tastings. We had a hundred year old bottle of beer, and I don't think was this at mugs at mugs. I got that right this time. Mugs, yeah, monks, (laughs) yeah. (laughs) And we guys are brothers, actually. That's it. Mugs, I guess, right. Put an M in front of anything. <laughs> Actually, we had a bottle of Bass King's Ale, which was about 100 years old. And it was sealed, corked, and waxed. And Who I actually, had been sitting on that? No, Bill Coleman. Again, his name arrived. He's over 100 years old now. <laughs> no, no, no. He, they hunted this bottle down, and it was waxed and corked. So I looked at it. I'm like, am I going to die after this or not? And I told my wife, I said, I'm going to drink this no matter what. <laughs> and if anything happens to me, it happens, whatever. And uh, it still was alive. It had these sherry overtones, and we drank the whole bottle. So vintage beer lives. Yeah, that wax seal really helps. Yeah. Corked and well, crown capped. If it wasn't waxed, then I'd kind of a good look thing. at it differently. Did I mention redundancy is a good thing? No. <laughs> what did you say? <laughs> And so if it had killed you, what a way to go with a 100-year-old beer. So what, 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 what are we drinking right now, Tom? Now we're, we're drinking, drinking a, a Thomas Hardy 1994. And that is 94? just... Yeah, 94. Okay. That's stupid good. Yep. <laughs> <laughs> this beer usually is. Okay. And then uh, the next one we're going to have is a 1986. So, so a, a digression oh, is a good thing. That Regression. is delicious. Yeah, this, this is beautiful. This beer is made to lay down, not... You know, a lot of people lay beers down in their cellar that should not be laid down. Like IPAs. Oh, my God. A double IPAs. So you can lay it down double the time. Wrong. Wrong. <laughs> you drink them fresh. Uh, I say 90% of the beers out there should be consumed very quickly, as soon as possible after brewing. Uh, other things like lambics, like a goose, 
Uh, a traditional one can lay down 35, 40 years. Uh, the oldest one I've had is 35 years old. And I brought along a bottle of the Cantillon Lou Pepe Creek from 1998. We'll see how that holds up. Mm -hmm. of, of all the fruits they add to the beer, that's the one that lasts the best. Uh, cherries. Yeah, nice uh, Flemish sour cherries, pits, and everything in there. So it has a little bit of a... Tannins of some kind? Yeah, it has almond, like a marzipan character from the pits. And, and we'll huh. see if sometimes it turns a little browner. This was stupid bright red. Yeah, it still looks good. That'll... Still stupid bright red. <laughs> <laughs> it's, it, there's a fruit nose, too. It's nice. Yeah, like the framboise, it, it dissipates very quickly. Uh, in the, the apricot, builds up acetobacter, so it becomes uh, a little more harsh. Uh, but the, the creek actually does well. So we'll see how that is. But if you, if you get a, a real old lambic, an old goose, you can literally lay that down 35 or 40 years. Yeah, we had an old one at Jimmy's 43 that... Don and Wendy from Vanberg and DeWolf brought. How old was that one? Do you remember, it was Jimmy? A 30-year thir Yeah, it was yeah. pretty Was that old. from Frank Bone? Or? It was a crazy case that they acquired. A broker who like took them out into the countryside, and there was a guy who had this case in his basement. A crazy story, but it was really, it was quite it's, old. It's, it was probably it's, the oldest thing I've consumed. It's a good side of beer, you know I mean? Oh. There's, a, there's a lot of people making beers that they say are age-worthy. And um, they're not always right. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> well, it's like wine. You know, certain wines are built for aging and certain wines are not built for the same kind of aging. And you have to understand what properties that you're looking at that have the potential for that. Yeah. And, and also the storage temperature, how frequently you move it. Of course. And I see people with regular crown caps, which is the standard opener uh, cap and they lay them down on their side you cannot do that because it'll pick up a metallic taste right so you need to stand you know crown caps up and lay corks down if, if it's a good cork i've been an avid fan of vintaging but i totally regret that i didn't vintage all my beers like took a case every year just to see just to learn what, yeah yeah just to experiment with if we all had infinite space and uh, you know, yeah, but even not not which, taking which ones, ones, a case of this, a case which of ones that. really stood out in your mind, Ed? Because as far as vintaging, which, which ones are worthy of, of vintaging? Besides, really good at mugs, we actually are religious about vintaging the anchor Christmas beers, the holiday beers, uh, the special ales, or whatever they call them, uh -huh. and we vintage those. We've had. We have one sitting here, too. Well, a, yeah. nine, what a, a 1999 <laughs> Anchor Christmas. But we've actually vintage from, at one point, I had a 92, 94 people, wow. actually. But you know, the funny part about it is that people do come in and look for this, which is really Oh, it's odd huge me. now. Yeah, it I mean, people it, are very excited about like vintage. Um, I think a lot of it is yeah. so that they can learn. You know, people, I mean, some people are just like, ooh, it's older, so it much, must be better. Some of the beer geeks just want to learn what happens to a beer. And that's a great example if a bar has been sitting on a, on a barley wine that they're familiar with, but it's five years old. They want to see what's happened to that profile. But um, it's true. You see a lot of vintaging of beers. And it's like, oh, we found this old keg in the back. And, oh, it's worth more now. And it's, it's really Or it's undrinkable either way. <laughs> so, yeah. I, I, don't this at, is the I first, don't look at it that way. This is the first uh, radio show Business about man. vintage beers that I've ever been part of. It's, I, a, I did it's a, a great topic. Really well, I laid down a bunch of kegs of Victory uh, Horizontal just because I want to do a say I could I'm doing a vertical of horizontal I just thought <laughs> <laughs> but I did five vintages of old horizontal and it really you could dramatically uh, the hops 
were reduced. Watch them reduce. Yeah. yeah. So and watch other flavors come out and come together because there isn't that hot profile. So and, it's very interesting what can happen. Yeah, with five vintages of the exact same beer. Yeah. I'm not sure if Ron had changed the recipe at all during that time. Oftentimes they tweak. Obviously the ingredients are different because each harvest is different, sure. but it was dramatically different from five years old to the current vintage. It was a real nice experiment to do. Yeah. That beer was on draft a little longer than I anticipated. Five, <laughs> five halves of a barley wine don't fly out your door. <laughs> yeah, especially when we do uh, like the Christmas in July at the Blind Tiger. It's really difficult to get through those beers when yeah. it's 90 degrees outside. Well, and That's mm. a popular theme now, Christmas in July. Do you it think sounds that, good, that, but the, it's the hard. Christmas beers themselves <laughs> are necessarily age-worthy? It, it depends on the alcohol content and... Um, you know, that they're spiced. Some of them lay down well. I I, I just found a case of uh, Afflegum Noel from like 10 years ago, and I, I don't even want to cook with it. You know, I'm just going to pour it down that, the drain. That really is not a huge beer. No, it's it's too delicate. I just lost yeah. it in my basement. It just kind of found it, it happens. in the corner. But the anchor <laughs> beers also, they're not big beers, no. but they kind of live through the whole process, and... I'll say, because I always called it a sprucey beer, because every time I drank that beer, it was like... It's always a, a different recipe from that, yeah, that brewery. Yeah. I mean, they, I, they I tweak it here And some there, years are great, and some years aren't yeah, so great. And some probably have more of a backbone to be able to uh, to age. For well, some time, I, I think they're a little too herbaceous for me when they come out. I can't drink it the, the year they come out. of. They, they, they need a couple for, years, yeah. Yeah, at least several months. Well, I used to say it's just like drinking a spruce tree. It's like, you know, you have the sprucey taste <laughs> in your mouth. Some are yeah, super <laughs> super spicy and some All are right. really spicy. Well, after We're going to take a short break okay. here. We're going to come back in a few minutes and talk about more vintage beers. And we'll have a call from UK and talk about beer in the United Kingdom on Beer Sessions Radio. You broke his heart and made him cry. And he's been blue since then. Now he's found somebody new. And you want him back again. Welcome back to Beer Sessions Radio on the Heritage Radio Network. We're here at Roberta's in Bushwick. Roberta's is a starred restaurant. It's like two stars. We get to do our show every week. We get pizza, steak. You know, who, who knows what you'll get at Roberta's, but it's always going to be good. And uh, another nod to our friend Ray Dieter, who passed away. Uh, we would do the show every Tuesday night, and his favorite dish was steak for two. And um, just you would for, order just it for, for himself, him. yeah. Just for him, yeah. So we're here with some great guys. We got Tom Peters from Monk's Cafe in Philadelphia, Ed Baristecki from Mugs Ale House in Brooklyn. I think it's Mugs versus Monk's today. These two great teams of beer. I see. I see. I really do know the difference between those two. I still like Jimmy Carbone. Uh, Thank you. And uh, so uh, 
we're now we're gonna we're talking about vintage beers and we've been tasting these wild beers. Um, we're gonna have a, a calling guest from United Kingdom. Um, there's an old. Uh, let's. This is his Mike. Uh, Mike Pataglia from Total Beverage Solutions. Hey, Mike. How's it going, folks? Mike, why don't you introduce our next guest? Uh, we are going to be talking to Mr. Uh, John Bexham from the Green King Brewery. He is the master brewer of Green King. Mm. So he is the man behind the old speckled hen and these two fine beers we have in front of us. All right. Hey, John, how are you? Welcome. Hello, Jimmy. Good to, good to hear you. All right. Well, you got a good room here of, uh, of knowledgeable beer people. you got representing the Blind Tiger, Monk's Cafe, and Mug's Ale House uh, in America. Uh, and they're all big fans of yours. Uh, yeah, well, how are you just, doing? I've just been listening to you online. How do so we you, sound? <laughs> sorry to hear that. <laughs> You've been keeping up. Well, you have to remember, over here, I'm five hours ahead of you, but I'm not five beers ahead of you yet. No. Not yet. You have time to catch up. You should have <laughs> sent us some Green King IPA. <laughs> yeah. Uh, so let's, let's go That's around the room as an cast. introduction. we got Ed. Tell us what you know about Green King. And, what do uh, I know about Green King? Tell us about... You just... Actually, I remember years ago, somebody coming in and telling me at Muggs, you have to try this Green King IPA. So they came in with an empty can. And I looked at them, well, how am I supposed to try this when you're coming in with an empty can of Green King IPA? And the can looked great. <laughs> and I actually think we still have it there. But uh, until years later, we got to try that beer and actually report it and happily at Muggs. That's, I love Excellent. that beer. I think it uh, travels really well. It's got a good hop backbone. I, I think that's one of the better beers that comes out of London, or England anyway. And I've had it on cask <laughs> multiple occasions. It's mm. one of my favorites that comes over the pond. So, John, how, how did you get uh, become a brewer? I know you started at Bass in 1977. I did. Well, I, I was born into a, a brewing town in Burton-on-Trent, where, of course, the Bass Breweries uh, became uh, over 200 years ago, and came from a, uh, a semi-brewing background. My my grandfather used to make wooden casks to, uh, to put ale in. He was a cooper. Um, he was a cooper, uh, but he, uh, he he liked the sauce a little too much and had to leave the profession, <laughs> and he ended up making coffins. <laughs> uh, same skill, same skill set, different phase, but no steel yeah, bands. Different shape, <laughs> same principle. <laughs> All right, and you love what you do, Mike. Mike, tell us a little bit more about uh, Green King and the, the beers that are available here in the states. Um, well, we are actually tasting something right now that is isn't available, which is the Old Golden Hen. Um, it's uh, a, a light golden ale, uh, and we're using some uh, hops from Tasmania. So it's got that really nice tropical kind of mango papaya really notes. Uh, very, very nice. Um, we're also looking at the old crafty hen next, staring us right in the face, uh, which is... This the, is the hen series. Yeah, so this is essentially <laughs> the hen series, if you will. Uh, and, the, and the old which crafty... Which came first? Yeah. <laughs> The Old Crafty is a, is a blend of the 5X, uh, which is a two-year-old aged vintage beer. Oop, yep, sorry, Ed. Yeah, I got to drink that up. <laughs> Two-year-aged uh, vintage beer mixed with a higher-gravity old speckled hen. Um, and as far as I can tell, Green King was traditionally, Green King itself was traditionally a blending brewery to begin with. They, they did a lot of this kind of vintage blending kind of uh, 
brewing process. And uh, so this is kind of an ode back to the old old style of what Green King used to do. So, John, how long have you been the brewmaster of, of uh, old, or I'm sorry, Green King? Well, I've been head brewer there for 10 years, and okay. that's my 35th year in the industry. And where were you before? I was at uh, Bass. Oh, you were Bass at Bass. Ale, uh, in Burton-on-Trent and uh, in Birmingham. Cool. All right. But you spent some time in the United States, right? I did. I, I did. Back in uh, 1986, I came and commissioned a brewery in, in um, uh, Boston called the Commonwealth Brewing Company. Yes. Ah. Yes. And it it was uh, it was a great time, and uh, I met some fantastic people. And I think it was nineteen to eighty six in the summer. I left uh, two days before Christmas. I had a most wonderful time. Was, was Paul Sailor working there at that time? Right. Uh, sorry, Paul, Paul Sailor. Paul Sailor was he working at no, that time? No, because this, this was in its early uh, in, in its first year, I think. Uh-huh. I looked uh, online, and I see it, uh, it it lasted until about two thousand and two. But it ended up in New York, too. I think there was yeah, a and then they did uh, Back Bay Brewing on Boylston in Boston right, with Todd Mott. Too, right? Yeah. Back Bay was a great brewery, So, too. John, yeah. tell us John, a little more about uh, what you do at Green King. So, what's your typical day like as a brewer ah. in England? Well, I mean, today was, was, a, was a non-typical day. I've actually been out in trade, and I spent, uh, I spent the day with a driver driving around uh, a number of our pubs. Um, and you didn't drive down here? Uh, sorry? You didn't drive down here to visit us? <laughs> no, not this time. That was better than a month ago. We wanted you in the studio. Right. Yeah, well, that's where we were, we were going to be a month ago, but uh, <laughs> our time just didn't allow, unfortunately. But we, we did manage to get around quite a few bars in uh, in Manhattan. Oh. Um, but didn't quite Manhattan. make yours, I'm afraid, Jimmy. <laughs> well, we're happy to have you on the so, air. So I so want to know what you, your influence was from the United States. Like your time here, uh, brewing in in Boston, did you take yeah, any well, of those like influences back with you? Yeah, I re- I remember going to a bar back in 1986, and there were three beers on the bar. There was uh, Guinness, Heineken, and Bass Ale, and I went into <laughs> so the they bar had no in beer. Massachusetts <laughs> uh, recently. I think I think I counted fifty taps. Wow! And of course, it, it, uh, there was a small brewery. Just about starting up when I was there, called Sam Adams. <laughs> <laughs> so you were really, course, you were so ahead of. It's huge now. Yeah, well, you were ahead of the no. curve, so it means that yeah. all this craziness that's taking place now really hadn't even gotten a momentum back then. But sure, sure. Yeah. But so what about um, sh- I, shipping Cascales? Um, how do you feel about shipping Cascales to the states? Oh, uh, wouldn't that be great? Yes, I would. I must admit, at the Commonwealth Brewery, we did actually make cast beer, and I remember making Boston's best Burton bitter. (laughs) That that actually was delicious. And it was made uh, on an old bath. You tried it, Tom? Yeah, I tried it before a Celtics game. It was real close to the garden. Yeah. Yeah. Happy days. I've got a question (laughs) for you now. This is Ed. Uh, Green King never showed up in cask in the States? Because I, I could have swore we poured I've it. Had it. We've had it. Right, we yeah. poured it. We've poured it. So, yeah. So you have ship casks. Exactly. <laughs> Caught we you in a lie. But, but, but only in small volumes. <laughs> yeah. Of yes, course. and that's, well, that's, that's the way we be. like it. No. Mike, tell please. us. Tell yeah. us a little more. Tell yeah. us the plan for Green King and the, what they'll be selling here. And 
Yeah, well, the old crafty is going to start showing up in stores uh, now. Uh, it's it's in our distributor's warehouse, and uh, it's, it's slowly but surely trickling out. Um, it's really nice. Right, right around this time of year, you can expect to see some casks come into the market. Uh, we do the Green King IPA, the Old Speckled Hen, um, Ruddles, which is also a brilliant Moreland brand. Um, and, yeah, so, so you'll see those. And uh, if we're lucky, if uh, John doesn't drink on all of it, we'll, we'll have some Old Crafty in cask as well. So, yeah, you can definitely you expect that right around now. We start sending it around November. And we stop around March just because as soon as it gets hot and it's just a nightmare, that stuff goes bad real quick. All right. John, I'm going to ask you a question. It's, it's that time of night. We're hanging out. Uh, we've got some the old brewery guys and the old brewer here. Um, <laughs> this Friday night. A bunch of old beer. Friday <laughs> night. You know, you're at your town. What, what town are you in in England? Uh, we, we, well, now I'm quarter past ten. In the half past ten in the evening. So you're in your town in England. <laughs> And uh, it's a Friday night. What time do you go to the pub, and what do you drink? Oh, oh. me? Uh, oh, I probably I probably go straight after work in town, and I would drink Abbott Ale, which yes. is my favourite beer. Yep. Uh, drinking Abbott Ale, it would be in cask format, so it'd be in a living format uh-huh. rather than a stabilised, and probably have a couple of those. Nice uh, and fresh. Yeah. And then I get home, and then um, my my partner Sharon and I will go to the pub. Nice country pub with a log fire and a wet dog, so to speak. <laughs> and um, competing aromas. And, and have a nice, uh, probably two or three of the pints. I then hand the car keys to her, and she drives me home. That is so dinner. convenient. <laughs> <laughs> All right, well, we'll be right there. <laughs> and uh, okay, let's ask Tom, the old the old bar owner here, Tom Peters. Hey. What do you do on a Friday night? Uh, work. <laughs> I, I get out of work about 4 in the morning. Uh, I have my first beer at 10 or 11 o'clock. I'll be, usually start with an Orval, and uh, then I finish with an Orval. <laughs> you're, you're still devoted to the Belgians. I I could drink Orval and Saison DuPont anytime, anywhere. And Ed from Muggs, what's your Friday night like? My Friday night, I start off with a little Emma that's two and a half years old. Then I go, upgrade to a Michaela. That's four and a half years old, and then my sixteen-year-old finishes me finishes me off for the night, and I'm done. <laughs> <laughs> well, I, 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 <laughs> Jimmy, what do you do? Yeah, yeah, Jimmy. <laughs> Come on, Jimmy. Hear your answer. These days, I start with a nice local beer like Barrier <laughs> Brewing from Long Island. I have a couple of those, and uh, I just get warmed up for the night. <laughs> but uh, I, I do like this idea of starting with the local beers, and then and then moving into these vintage beers. Because uh, they're pretty cool. Um, I haven't had too many Thomas Hardy. Do, do you guys drink, uh, John, do you drink um, anything like Thomas Hardy and barley wines and all that on a regular basis? Yeah, well, yeah. In fact, um, uh, had we met a month ago, I bought you a bottle of the 5X, which uh, we oh. used to make the old crafty hen. And that's at uh, anything between 10 and 12%. Wow. Uh, and it's, uh, Session it's beer. slightly <laughs> Slightly sour because it's two yourself. years old and it's it's it's, it's matured in oak. It goes like um, almost like a, a, sl- a slightly sour sherry with a slight balsamic. Uh, but if you drink oh. that in a wine glass, it really is a fantastic nightcap. A lot of these beers are that way, where you feel like you can have a twelve-ounce bottle 
and share it with someone else and you're yeah. sipping it more like you sip sherry so you don't consume quite yeah. as much even if it is a high alcohol yeah and, and in fact that's what in front of me now the old crafty hand that i'm drinking i'm drinking it in a small goblet Mm-hmm. So Greeking, does, has it done any vintaging of any of its beers or gone to the barley wine style or anything like that? Sorry, I didn't catch that. I'm sure you didn't, but uh, barley wine style. Has Green King done anything as barley wine? Um, yeah, we did one some years ago. We called it Audit Ale. That's uh, the one that you just um, mentioned. Yeah, no, no, that was 5X, but Audit oh. Ale we did some years ago, but we haven't for a number of years. But Is there a the, market for that? <laughs> We're starting to find that. Is there a market for that now in the UK? You know, on this think, last, on this last so. trip, uh, yeah. I, I think if you, if you look at the UK market, it's almost reflecting the American taste in the sense that there's, there's now 800... <laughs> uh, microbrewers here, and they're all trying new things, and and also bringing back old recipes. and, and barley wine style is making a, a comeback. That's great to hear. Yeah, his his last trip here, we were, uh, you know, we did a few interviews. We were talking with some people, and and everybody we tasted on the five X was, you know, nearly begging for us to to bring it over. Awesome, John. Can you stay on? We're going to take a short break. Uh, we'll be back yeah, in a fine. few minutes I'll, here I'll on Beer Sessions Radio. All right. Big time, won't you come on home? Ain't you gonna marry me? Yeah. My folks all wanna know when the wedding's gonna be. They're making plans, shaking hands. I've been waiting so long. Has something gone wrong? Big John, if you don't come home. Beer Sessions Radio on the Heritage Radio Network. Jimmy Carboni here with Jen Swartman, Erica Fisher, our walking hey. guest, Tom Peters, Ed Baristecki, and Mike Battaglia, and we got John from Green King on the air. John, you know we're drinking while you're in England? Tom, what did you just pour for us? Something, more vintage beers, old guys and old beers tonight on Beer Sessions Radio. This is the Lecoq Extra Double Stout, and it's yummy. <laughs> from, from 2000, so it's uh, 11, 11 years in a bottle. So there is wow. a, so there's obviously a tradition of, this is English beer, right? Indeed. There's a tradition of these English beers that, that age well. Um, yeah, bar- barley wines, uh, some of the old ales, uh, the bigger beers. Obviously, the uh, bitters and uh, things along that line do not age well but at all. Outside of the American market, I mean, who else drinks these beers? I would imagine people in the colder climates of England and Scotland. <laughs> do you think, John, do you think that, that uh, there's people in the U.K. interested in, in these strong, age-worthy beers? Or do you think they're I, mostly I think for so. export? 
I think, yeah, I mean, uh, obviously the, the stronger the beer and the more uh, challenging the flavour, then mm. you, you start getting into a niche market. But people are looking for flavour and a point of difference. And I think, you know, the, the, the specialty beers have a place and the beer connoisseurs definitely seek them out. That being said, there was a huge trend for session beers for a long time, wasn't there? Like there lower is, alcohol? There still is. I mean, one of, one of the great traditions in the UK and England, of course, is the English pub. And that has been renowned for years for having session ability, where you will go and drink, you know, quite, quite large volumes of beer. But, of course, the strength is generally... Um, uh, you know, in the sort of 3.5% ABV and, and to 5%. Uh, and I was amazed coming to the States recently to see <laughs> some of the strength of the beers, you know. Absolutely. Um, and, yeah, and, uh, you know, I, I look at the old Crafty Hen at 6.5% thinking this is a, a good premium beer and actually is probably mid-range for a lot of the American beers that I found. Right, especially where we are in the East Coast, I feel like. I, although people are paying attention to sessions, so it's all cyclical. It's like people sort of go through phases, and hopefully they get to a point where they drink sessionable beers when they have to get themselves home. And then That's once it. they get themselves home, they settle into something really, like, cozy. I think it's also seasonal that, uh, you know, people drink session more session beers during the summer sure. than uh, the winter. Yeah. Winter, they drink higher gravity beers. But as far as the breweries in, in the States, it seems like a 6% beer has become a session beer. It really, in my eyes, well, from our drinkers it, at Mugs. It was for a long time, and now... Everyone's really excited when some of our established fantastic craft breweries are actually developing beer recipes that have a hell of a lot of flavor and are much lower alcohol content. And, and so people are, people are, there's a market for that, too, now that there wasn't maybe five years ago. Jen, what, what's a, a sessionable craft beer that you like? That well, you I can think of, I think of one, um, Stone uh, Levitation is one that we didn't have on the East Coast for the longest time. And I kept hearing the stone rep saying, wow, we've got to get some of that beer out here. And I'm like, what is this beer? Well, it turns out it's actually their session ale that was being consumed entirely in Southern California. And none of it was making it out. And now they're brewing more of it because they realize there's actually a market for it. But it's a really, like, amazing complex you know kind of pale out there's some hops there's some complexity great malt and then it's also i can't remember what the abv is but much lower than what it, their ip I think, is. I think it's four and a half yeah four percent. and a half Something four like and that. a half but you know at mugs we're, we're nation fans well i know the crowd at mugs and they have a and they have a different focus four and a half percent <laughs> bit of flow yeah, I, I think most of this the session beers i serve at monks are always locally within 90 miles okay. mugs or yeah, mugs? so i i try well, not to sell light lagers or pilsners from europe or from the west sense, coast because those beers have, don't age going that, back to what we're saying right so i consume it within a month or two of being brewed, I think it's in the prime condition. So give us sure. a couple of examples of your local session beers in Philadelphia. Uh, well, Stouts does a uh, S-T-O-D-T-S. Carol Stout does it. In, I think it's my favorite Pilsner. It's got a real good malt content. Uh, it's a northern German-style Pilsner. Good amount of hops. I think it's fabulous. And then uh, Brian O'Reilly does a Hellas from Sly Fox. It just... You, you can literally sit down and have tea. He's really a cool brewer, isn't he? Sly Fox. <laughs> Brian's great. I mean, I don't think we see enough of him in New York. Um, 
But I know right now he has the Sly Fox Grisette Saison. Yeah. Which I have on drafts. And also, well, he's a Phil Markowski disciple. So is he? He's really into the Saisons. And Phil's the master. He literally wrote the book. And have you had the Sly, Fo- the Sly Fox Dunkel Lager? I've that's, had the Dunkel, yes. That's one of my favorite session beers that, that he's making because it's a little color, a little flavor, but it's still only like 4.5%. Yeah, it's light on the tongue, but it, you have a little malt backbone, but it's not sweet or cloying in any way. It's a, it's a true session beer. So in, in Philly, we have a lot of German heritage. Uh, the, the first Pilsner in America was brewed in Philadelphia, and that has carried on. So we get really good light session beers there. So, I, you know, I, I love the guys at Stone. I love Greg. I love all the things they do, but that's not what I'm going to bring in for, for me. Since no, I, it's I just, have them, you know, right there. And <laughs> yeah, you don't have any session beers at at mugs, mugs. No, we're, we're all eight percent and up. No, yeah, it's the demand he has. I'm telling you, I've hung out in that bar before. I oh, know who stop. those people are. You don't even know where it is. Actually, no. I was in your um, bar on. No, Sunday. our session beers are just pilsners. We we serve Radeberger pilsner, which for us it's it's done well. And for the beer geek, they look at it as being too commercial. But for me, a pilsner, I'm not a pilsner fan. I'm a hophead, so I could put. I'd love to put those. There are hoppy pilsners. Yes, I know, but I'm still an IPA fan, so I'd, I'd like to put 32 IPAs up. My wife's been trying to choke me and say, no, you can't do that. <laughs> let's, op- let's open another. Are there any more vintage beers we haven't tried yet? We have this Anchor Christmas. It's a big bottle. I think we're up to the I think challenge. We can, I think we can do it. Yeah, so Knowing this crowd? We got to do it. One thing I noticed, um, when, one thing in New York we have the Good Beer Seal, the goodbeerseal.com, and it, what it does is it honors some of the older more established beer bars, and uh, Ray Dieter was had one of them at DBA. Sam Barbieri, Waterford Ale House, Ed Barastecki at Mugs. And also, and you guys, a lot of new ones but who also, are doing it right. That, but but what the point of this is that you, you guys have, some of the older beer bar owners have certain beers like uh, Monster Ale from Brooklyn, um, you know, which, which have come up in the same kind of conversation about aging beers or these specialty anchor beers. And for me, I, I don't really think about those beers being the go-to beers um, because there's so many, you know, small craft breweries now. Um, but not too long ago, th- this is what you had, right? I mean, Anchor's a great beer. Well, I have to get in on this because I know, Jimmy, every time we've been at Beer Seal meetings, you always talk about us old-timers, and I never thought <laughs> I was an old-timer, but I guess I am an old-timer now after you've dubbed me as an old-timer. But <laughs> we've... Been there from '92. I mean, you know, That's what I'm I was not going to ask. Yeah, we've been there from '92. We've done. We tried to do what we, you know, as beer lovers, because that's the way I approached it. I was a beer lover. I used to be a systems programmer. My mother hated me because I threw my college education out the window because I became a bar owner. But I love beer, and that's where it started. And my wife and I, we we started this business, and you we, bought we, you bought an existing bar, right? That bar has been there from later on. I found out through the years that it's been there from the early 1900s. It right. actually was passed down from family to family to family, and we had actually. I never do parties, but this one person called me up, and they had a 50th birthday they wanted to do for this gentleman that owned the bar, and it was in his family. And we did it for them, and they brought all these pictures. It was unbelievable. It's like from the 19, early 1900s, the ball was there. Yeah. And we tried to keep it going. But the whole thing was, with us, we got in an environment where, you know, we're beer lovers coming in. I remember being on 9th Street and 2nd Avenue. I grew up in Manhattan, drinking a Sam Smith. And 
you know, here we are opening a beer bar in Brooklyn where there was nobody around. So we started off with eight draft lines, and I'm not going to go into this whole thing. But, you know, looking at, like, the vintage beers, it's something that we've gotten a handle on and grasped from the beginning because it seems like it's like wine. You know, people vintage wines. Why not beer? Of course, you know, when you vintage all these beers, there's all of them have these these delicate little flavors that kind of cross over from one to the other. But this beer, this Christmas beer, for me, was one that we always vintage. And we've had people that really love it. And, you know, it, for me, like I mentioned earlier, the spruciness dies out. And well, I think in this, this one... This one's from 1999. I think the spruce is I taste still, the spruce it's probably, really big still. Yeah, it's, it's also more a, than a magnum. I did then. But yeah, it, probably, it, it, it probably was a lot bigger in 1999. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, and, and Fritz Maytag was... And, he's the godfather of craft brewing in yeah, America. I, I, yeah. I know Jack at New Albion was the first guy to open a brew pub. But, you know, Fritz is really the guy who... Who made this happen in America? So, what would you say? What is what is the criteria? Like, what is your criteria f- for laying down beer? Uh, I say alcohol content. Uh, the higher, the better in general. And whether it's bottle condition, you know, if it has live yeast in it, it has a better, you know, propensity is that it can lay down longer. But you you cross the line. I, I found a. I find stuff in my basement. I, I need to go through that more frequently. But I, I found a 1987 Orval box of 12. <laughs> and so I popped that open, and I poured out for four of my friends. And we have a sip of it, and it's all Britannomyces. It's wet leather. It's yeah. just really funky. The next sip is orange marmalade. The next sip is oxidized. Yeah. It was so quick. You know, and I was I was going to serve it at a beer dinner, but I thought I would have to pour it and say drink Stand your beer Stand over now. each patron. Yeah. And, yeah. <laughs> we actually at Mugs, we saved, we had, we cellared the pure de folie. It was like the small, I don't know, I guess uh, a nano brewery out of Belgium at one point. I yeah, think John, I would John consider, Louis Dietz. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. And we had these bottles sitting down there, and I didn't know. And we went... <laughs> We cleared out all these kegs, and I'm like, oh, wow, look at this. And we opened the one up. It was done. And then we opened another one up. It was it actually lived still. But they were all they were all labeled. They had 92, 93 on there. But some of them lived, and some of them didn't. So it's kind of hit or miss when you do this. Yeah, I don't and think the beer needs to have carbonation to be good, though. I've had flat no, beers that are fabulous. Yeah. No, I'm not going that way. But some of them turn, and some of them don't, which is weird because you could put a whole you know case in, and you'll pull one out, and the one will be fine, and the next one will not. Yeah. So, I don't know. It's hit or miss. That's the way I look at it. But it's like your children, Ned. It's a you gamble. Just don't know. <laughs> My so, children are finishing me off, Jimmy. So, where, where can we go? Okay, I'm in New York, Philly. What, what are some good places if I want to try some vintage beers? Well, you know, a blind tiger. Yeah. No, he said Philly. Well, Philly, of course, you come to Monks. Philly, New York. Yeah, well, of course. <laughs> so you, What'd you say, it's Monks? obvious. It's, uh, you have vintage it's beers Monks on your it's list? the Belgian Cafe. I, I have vintage well. beers. They're not always on the list. Yeah, people can ask me. I, I had a, a 20-year-old Thomas Hardy on the menu, you know, this little six-ounce size, and I was down to four bottles of it, and I said, uh, I was getting $10 a bottle. I said, you know what? I don't really want to sell it. I want to keep it on my menu. So I put it on at $99 thinking nobody's going to buy it. And someone I bought it. I sold them in three days. 
like, uh, somebody wow. out here wants to give me $99 for yeah, some well, beer, I'll take it. But I really wanted to keep it on my list. I kind of did the same thing with Sam, Sam Adams' Utopias, and we put it up for $350, and we had people come in and actually buy it, which I was, I was blown I away. Was at, I, just, I was at Mugs when, when someone bought, bought a bottle of yeah. Utopias, yeah. and that was when I got my taste of it. And it was this, and it was in the middle of the afternoon. And I've never tried and it. Scott was behind the bar, <laughs> and these two guys were just like, it's, yeah. eh, we're going to have that. And yeah, that that's how easy it was for them to drop three hundred and fifty. Yeah, I actually I was using it as just like a Expensive publicity guy. type of thing, but it actually worked. But actually, you know, truthfully, the beer costs a lot of money to buy. And, well, it's a hundred dollars a bottle. Yeah, least, I right? think over over yeah. over that. But you know, but anyway, I want to put a plug in for my Belgium festival coming up. Can <laughs> I do that? It. Come on, go for it. All right, we're doing Belgium to Brooklyn, December third and fourth, and that's the number six festival. We've got. 17 beers going up every day. And actually, it's, uh, I'm gonna, I think I'm going to change the name to Split Thy Belgian Skull instead of Split Thy Belgian <laughs> Brooklyn Jimmy Skull. Anderson. Yes, instead of Split Thy Brooklyn Skull. So. Tom, anything special happening in Philadelphia the next month? Uh, well, I'm leaving town so everybody can breathe easier. Uh, I'm going to Belgium to Orval on December the 3rd. <laughs> Right. Tough life. <laughs> Erica Fisher, our, our special studio guest. Hey. All right. Jen, anything going on at Blind Tiger for December? Oh, yeah. Um, well, before December, the, uh, on the 30th of November, we have Du Ciel from Montreal, one of my favorite breweries oh. in the world, coming and uh, bringing a bunch of amazing beer. They're incredible guys. They're going to be in town. There'll be a whole slew of them. If I know those guys, they travel in packs. They, and, they all um, ride in a van. And and Dave will be in town, and we're gonna we'll have a great time with some incredible beer from Montreal. All right, well, that's one of my favorite brew pubs anywhere I, in the world. Brew pubs, breweries, uh, people in the business—they're fantastic. And John, anything happening in, in the UK for the holidays? Well, um, this weekend uh, Christmas fair starts in Edmonds, <laughs> which is very sort of Germanic. And next week I'm off to Brussels to showcase uh, my beers with also uh, a range of other breweries to the local uh, or to the European Parliament. So we're going to fly the flag for England over in uh, in the EU. Wow. Uh, and I'll probably, I'll, I'll probably bring a few Belgian beers back with me, of course. One of my favorite beer bars in the world is their uh, Motor Lambique. They're great guys. Oh, yeah. Great All right. Guys. Well, John, listen, thanks so much for, for calling in and being on the show. Couple more things. Uh, December seventeenth, Battle of the Belgians at Jimmy's Number Forty Three. You get the best of the American versus best of the Belgians year two. And DBA is doing December seventeenth and eighteenth. There's an annual uh, handmade gifts and crafts holiday fair with good beer. So I'd like to thank our sponsors at GreatBrewers.com who've helped to bring this podcast to you tonight. Beer Sessions Radio is supported by the Good Beer Seal. Thanks to Jen, Tom, Ed, John, and Mike for joining me here on the Heritage Radio Network. I'm Jimmy Carboni. Thanks to our producers, Jack Inslee and Brie O'Connor, and guest coordinator, Brett Thompson. We'll see you next time on Beer Sessions Radio. Happy Thanksgiving. Roll out the barrel and lend me your ears. I like beer. It makes me a jolly good fellow. I like beer. It helps me unwind, and sometimes it makes me feel mellow.